Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo and Editor Rachel Mutter. And what you hear in the background are a bunch of people fighting over their red lobster not being delivered to them in a timely enough fashion. So we have completely <laughs> gone through the looking glass now, people. Uh, okay, so it has been yet another crazy corona-filled uh, week since we've last spoken with you, but we gave uh, our listeners slash readers slash viewers a little bit of a break this week uh, with our webinar on plant-based and cell-based seafood, which was... Fantastic. John, you moderated it. Um, Rachel, you were there in attendance as well, as was I. Um, it was fascinating. And I'm curious from either one of you if you saw things a little bit different by the time you were uh, done watching it. And I'll, I'll kick it to you first, Rachel, since since John was right there in the thick of it. I mean, did you did you see or hear anything that you were surprised by? Um. Not surprised by, but I think I saw things through a slightly, maybe a slightly different lens after that webinar. Um, it was quite, it got quite heated. We, we had, we had people from the seafood industry, the, the traditional seafood industry, as maybe I now have to call them. Um, and we, and we had representatives from um, the plant and cell based industries who are all producing in some form or another a, a seafood, um, as they are calling it. And yeah, it got quite heated. There was quite a lot of defensiveness on both sides about the way things were going. But I, I think I came away perhaps with um, more sympathy, well, maybe not sympathy, but, but support for the plant and cell-based industry because they're just trying to do something different, right? And I, and I and I feel like as much as the seafood industry has concerns about the way it's being marketed, um, labeled, the, the nutritional values of it versus seafood, I think what it comes down to is that the seafood industry has not been doing a good enough job of marketing itself. And the land and uh, the plant and cell based industry has come along and is doing a phenomenal job of marketing products that in some form compete with with seafood so the seafood industry reckons um and i think that's really what it's about and i think there's room in the industry for both so yeah to me it was it, it was a it was a signal that the seafood industry probably needs to buck up its ideas a little bit hmm. john what was your takeaway from uh, all that all that moderating and the discussion what what are some of the things that stuck out to you yeah i don't know if i share your opinion rachel on this um I don't think it's necessarily a marketing question uh, in the sense that the seafood industry hasn't been doing enough. You know, it, you can argue they could do more, but that, that's a whole other discussion. But the plant-based uh, and cell-based, uh, the emergence of these foods, I think, is totally independent of seafood or beef or any of it. it, it it's just kind of this trend that is you know, it's a juggernaut right now. It's still small. Let's be honest. I mean, it's still a small slice, but it has attracted the attention of consumers, especially younger consumers. And 
Um, I don't think that's going to go away. If you look at it right now, how many um, uh, plant-based products are in the market? It, it's fairly small, but how many are being worked on? That's that's a much larger number. So there's just going to be more and more of these. And the cell-based guys haven't even ramped up yet. They're still, you know, depending on how you look at it, two, three years out or longer uh, before they can even really put a product together that's uh, scalable. So, yeah, yeah, I, I just think it's it's a really powerful force in consumers' minds right now, and they're concerned about, you know, raising cows and pigs and catching fish and all that. And apparently, seafood doesn't offer them enough uh, in their minds, anyways, to um overcome the thought that well you know it's not seafood but it's close so let's buy it you know yeah, i think one one of the things that struck me when when we had all the the um all the people kind of arguing about the the, the idea of a pan protein of needing to have protein across all segments one of the things that struck me was the types of people that these companies are going to attract. This is maybe the, the the lesson that seafood should take away. You're bringing in young entrepreneurs. You're bringing in uh, young uh, venture capital, angel investors. You're bringing uh, startups. You're bringing a level of enthusiasm and a level of innovation to a food space that tends to make things move very, very quickly. And it tends to resonate, I think, with what is now uh, the largest, going to be the largest consumer block. When you're getting to uh, Gen X, you're getting to millennials. Um, they, I, you know, that group has shown time and time again that they are more interested in uh, in health and more interested in where their food comes from than other generations. And while something like cell-based seafood has a little bit of a, a GM ring to it, I, I think there's actually a little bit, uh, as you said, John, there's a little bit of an awareness that the food system is broken. And we have, we've seen that more, more than, than ever during the coronavirus crisis. And I've read a couple of articles that said that, that uh, plant-based seafood, or plant-based food, rather, could end up being the big winner in a meat shock. Um, part of it being the supply chain uh, is is very complicated with with meat and poultry, um, but also um, just because people may want to do something different with their diets, um, they may be willing to try something different as their eating habits have changed because so much of the meat they are consuming is out of the home. So I think it's very interesting to see that there that, that there is a a major generational shift not only in the types of consumers that these uh, products might be serving, but also the types of employees, the types of of people that they might attract to the sector, which we all know is a major a major issue in the in the seafood industry. Yeah, and I I just think you you know it, it kind of. There's kind of a, a split within sea, the seafood industry itself right now as this uh, as these products emerge and creep into uh, the seafood space. And, uh, you know, it seems more and more seafood companies, and it, it, granted, it's a few right now, 
but they are getting involved in this. I mean, Bumblebee is the, the most recent example. So I think you're going to see a lot more collaboration down the line between, uh, as Rachel said, the traditional seafood that we all know and love and write about all the time, and this emerging, um, uh, what Roger O'Brien kept calling imitation uh, seafood. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so that's where I think this is going. We did a story today about uh, this, uh, the Better Meat Company, which it, it creates a, a protein blend that's uh, plant-based and it can be added to traditional seafood pollock or crab and enhance it uh, nutritionally in other ways and and you know uh, it's already being tested by several big seafood companies who do you know uh, fish sticks and crab cakes and those and I mean you can kind of figure out who those will be there aren't that many so um that's happening you know that's happening out of view right now but i mean why wouldn't somebody like a gorton's or any one of those big ones want to extend their line with a plant-based um, version of what they do and uh grab all those customers who who want that you know so i just think more collaboration is is going to come um you know as this thing emerges it sort of felt, you know, that that um, when you have people like Cargill, uh, people like Nutreco jumping into the space, it sort of felt like we were getting a glimpse of the future of these giant sort of multi-protein companies. And, you know, seafood is, you know, Tyson brought into seafood years ago and failed miserably at it. Um, some of these big major food brand companies have owned seafood brands over the years, but in, in an upstream sense of farming of seafood production, aquaculture, and fisheries, um, we haven't had these major conglomerates yet. Cargill is the one that stepped in, uh, Cargill and Treco, rather, are the ones that have stepped in largely into the, um, you know, into the, the feed space, and both used to own salmon farming uh, or companies as well. Um, or, or, sorry, rather, uh, Avos that, um, that Cargill took over used to be a part of, of Cermak. Um, but that, that sort of vertical integration sort of fell out of fashion a bit. So I'm curious if, if, if you two, and, and maybe I'll, I'll uh, shoot this over to you, Rachel, because you just interviewed uh, Pilar Cruz, who's the president of Cargill Aqua Nutrition. But I'm curious if you see that this whole idea of, of protein, of just the world needs more protein. We've heard that over and over. The world needs more protein. Is, is this where it's going? Is it soon we're going to have just these giant Cargills and Tysons and you know, multi-protein companies? Uh, that's yeah that's an interesting thought isn't it because certainly um a lot of the bigger companies are going that way a lot of the bigger seafood companies in particular are going that way i remember speaking to the um the thai union uh director of innovation i think it was um late last year and you know because thai union is is funding this sort of incubator in terms of of plant-based and cell-based seafoods and alternative proteins and 
I remember posing a question to him about, you know, you're a seafood company. Why are you going this route? And he said, we're not a seafood company. We're a protein company. Um, and he was very definite about that's the way Thai Union was thinking about themselves going forward. This is where they were positioning themselves. And I think more and more companies with the ability to do so will do so. And plant-based and cell-based is sort of the obvious direction for a seafood company to go um, as far as I'm concerned, because it's sort of that, it's that clean space, isn't it? It's that, it's where seafood is trying to put itself. It's trying to put itself on this sustainability platform. Um, And, you know, it's a healthy protein. It's, it's sustainable in, in a lot of the sectors, not all of them. Um, And I think this is the message seafood has been trying to put out for a few years now and I think to go that direction with plant-based and cell-based is is a smart move actually I think it reinforces that story not just with any new products they produce under under plant-based and cell-based but also with the seafood that they're already producing so yeah I I think I think that's an interesting idea um and certainly something we're going to see more of is there, John, do you think, like I said before, this is reminiscent a little bit of GM salmon um, when, I, when I think about cell-based seafood in particular. And just the opposition over the years to GM salmon, while it continues through till today, you have to say consumer perception of GM has changed pretty dramatically. And despite all those headwinds, Aqua Bounty did get FDA approval for its uh, GM uh, salmon. So how do you think consumers are going to take to, uh, to cell-based seafood? I don't think there'll be the opposition that you saw to GM products in general. Um, I, I just think this kind of makes a little more sense to people when it's laid out from a you know, pretty straightforward scientific point of view. There is, you know, uh, as mentioned in the thing, there is that kind of creepy... Um, you know, lab, crazy lab science thing, you know, going on. But I think, I think that will subside pretty quickly. And, you know, I mean, ultimately it has to taste good. It has to taste like it should. And if it does that, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna take it very far. I mean, think about this, think about Burger King and they've been serving beef burgers since, Cows were calves, right? So, and then last year they come out with the Impossible Burger, whichever one it was, and the sales go through the roof. I mean, the adjustment in the consumer's mind right there to something Americans cherish, a burger for heaven's sakes, the adjustment was overnight. And they didn't even think about it. Now, that, that's not cell-based, I know, but that's plant-based, which is, you know, just down the street, so to speak. So I, I don't think there's going to be a big pushback like you saw with, with GM. And, you know, the Aqua Bounty people said it over and over and over and over again for years that consumers just didn't understand GM, you know. And then the, the message got spun by opponents to a degree that it became the truth. And once that kind of fell away and people started to better understand what, what GM really meant, they were more open to it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I think I, I, I disagree with you a bit. I think cellular seafood is going to be a tougher sell than GM, since we're all already eating GM, at least in in uh, the United States we are. Um, so I'm not so sure. I think a, lar- a, a, a fish that has been um, genetically engineered to grow faster, I think that actually makes a bit more <laughs> sense in a consumer's mind or or can as people learn more about it than the idea of actually essentially creating a uh, fish flesh out of cells um i don't know it'll be interesting i don't know how what it would look like i don't know in what uh what applications it would be in um you know i remember just the other day we ran a story about this this uh this this uh, inventor that's looking to be able to print a salmon fillet so we're in a completely new territory of food and i'm just wondering if this this need for protein across the world if that will supersede consumers fears and concerns about how these foods are produced what they look like what they taste like um, you know, or, or, um, you know, is this going to be something people will continue to kind of see as having a little bit of an ick factor? I don't know. Well, and it might be regional too, as it was, sorry, Rich, as uh, somebody mentioned in the, uh, in the, uh, webinar, because, um, you know, there isn't necessarily a protein shortage in the West. Um, there are there may be one in you know, the east, so to speak, but um, so this may be more applicable in some parts uh, of the world than others, and that that's yet to be seen. But one one final point I want to make, uh, and then I'm sorry, Rachel, I'll throw it over to you, but <laughs> you um, is and and Roger made this point uh, a couple times, and I I really think he's right, and and that is I don't really think whether you're plant-based or cell-based i don't think your marketing strategy should be one that harps on all the deficiencies in seafood overfishing you know uh, on and on and on all the things we hear all the time um i think he took offense to that as i know a lot of seafood uh industry people do because they've told me and i can understand that so if they're going to market, you know, plant-based seafood, it has to be marketed on its merits rather than our demerits, if uh, if you will. So, I don't know. I just I think that's an important point, and I don't know. Um, I don't know if that will be the case, but uh, you know, Roger made a strong case for it for sure. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, John. I also I also think there might be a a novelty factor um, involved at the moment with plant-based and, and cell-based. Well, there's not really cell-based seafood on the market, but but plant-based seafood certainly. Um, it's sort of seen as, a, you, you talk about the Impossible Burger and there's some chains in in the UK as well that are, that are sort of traditional, um, like meat, meat, uh, meat, like takeaway chains that have sort of launched uh, plant-based versions of stuff. And it's really, it's really taken off, you know, queues outside the, the shops and, and whatever. But I, I do think that will die down to some, uh, to some degree. I think, I think it's seen as sort of fashionable at the moment amongst millennials to sort of be eating this stuff. Um, but at some point, um, 
enough people will be doing it that it will no longer be so cool. And then I think taste and texture um, and pricing will come into play because Drew, I'm not, I'm not sure that people, I'm not sure that these consumers are aware enough of a, of a protein shortage as such. I'm not sure that's why people are eating it. Um, Personally, I don't think that's why most people are eating it. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. But I, I think maybe the seafood industry sees it um, as more of a threat than it than it actually is. And I think maybe it's just something to be embraced as another as another part of sort of the protein sector that, that seafood can get involved with. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going away. And uh, I certainly think the seafood industry can try to wish it away. But uh, but it's going to be around, and it will change the way that uh, that, that uh, consumers think. That's for sure. So to move over to coronavirus again, uh, unfortunately, we have to touch on coronavirus. Uh, maybe because we're just all swimming in it and going a little bit crazy. Um, this week we had kind of a, a shocking statistic released um, by the government of Ghana, actually. The president of Ghana was the first one to mention it. But he said that a plant uh, owned by Thai Union in Ghana had a worker that ended up being a, a super spreader. This is the way it was described, that it was uh, the plant was the source of they said 533 infections, and that's just a shocking number. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, I, I, Thai Union, Rachel. You reached them for comment, and and they did send out a release, which is where it came up on our radar after the president had mentioned it, and a labor union there in Ghana had mentioned it. Then Thai Union came out and and said yes, there was a case. They said a case. Um, and I know that you, you, as I said, you reached out to them, Rachel, and, and talked to them and got some comment from them about that. But what struck me a, a bit and what I uh, am kind of working on in a commentary is it's very interesting when you have a, 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 a situation like this where oftentimes if your factory has a problem, someone gets a finger chopped off or... Uh, whatever you've got a um, you know an, an oil spill outside your salmon farm or whatever you run over a whale whatever it might be um, it is it is kind of seen that okay you need to report it but if you can if you don't have to you don't need to announce it certainly not make a big deal about it certainly not put out a press release about it. I'm curious how you two feel about that. To what extent should companies be reporting when they find a case? And to what extent, um, let's look inward, to what extent should we be covering this and letting our readers know when there are uh, cases or outbreaks, whatever that threshold is between cases and outbreaks? John? Uh I think we should be a hundred percent transparent across the board. Um, I don't see this is unprecedented territory we're in. We still have no idea whether we'll be done with this by Christmas or June next year or whenever. No idea whatsoever. And, you know, I believe a lot of companies, including seafood companies, 
are doing their best to protect their workers. But these people are still working there. And, you know, I think everybody deserves to know if there's an outbreak somewhere because it might affect how they behave, especially if they work there or live near there. So I, I just I don't see why companies wouldn't report that. I just I mean, I know why they don't want to, but I just think this is the time to be transparent. And as for our coverage of it, well, I mean, it is reshaping the entire seafood industry from its boots to its hat. So, um, yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're going to cover it, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's, it's a no brainer. I mean, <laughs> I suppose it, it helps that this is the industry we're in. Um, but yeah, of course, you report it. Um, it might it might not seem like a like an awfully happy day, the day you have to put out a press release um, to all your investors and the world media saying that you may have infected um, over five hundred people in an African city with coronavirus. Um, but yeah, as as John says, sort of everyone's in this situation, and actually, this is the time that maybe you shouldn't shy away from those from those stories because it's happening to everyone. It's a risk that everyone's dealing with. It's it's uncharted territory. Um, I mean, it sounds to me like Thai Union had all had all the measures in place um, that that other plants have in place from from the from the statement that was given to me um, by one of their spokespeople. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess this happens. They're retesting all their employees. So their 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 side of the story is that they tested all their factory workers as soon as the positive case showed up, um, and that there weren't any positive cases. But now they're having to retest because it seems like the virus was spreading anyway. And you you do hear this more and more that there's cases of sort of um, of tests that don't actually work properly and et cetera, et cetera. So this is an issue that everybody's dealing with and it doesn't really it doesn't really say anything bad about Thai Union that they have a positive case, but it does say something bad about Thai Union when they don't report it for three weeks. Yeah, I you know I had a uh, I, I had a, a an executive give me a call um, not too long ago. It was after one of our uh, one of the first major cases was reported. Uh, and this executive said, look, I was in a plant uh, recently owned by this company, um, and I have not been able to contact them and get a hold of them to find out which workers, to find out what time, what day. Um, and and you know, essentially, the executive was scared. And so I think that that, that pointed to something right there that, there needs to be far, far, far more transparency. And Rachel, you just said it. It's not something to be ashamed of. And I think that this is going to be an interesting test for the seafood industry, interesting test for how they handle transparency. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, if, if they're able to take kind of a, a forward leading position here. The meat industry has done a horrible job in both reporting internally within their own companies, within their own factories, and reporting it externally to investors, stakeholders, shareholders, etc. So this is a, a unique opportunity for seafood to do something a little bit different and be seen as the industry that's going to be out in front, the industry that's being more proactive. 
So I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in looking at what's happened to the terrestrial protein sector and saying, hey, look, we need to reshape things and behave differently. We have the Pacific whiting uh, fishery that just began on the U.S. West Coast. It's uh, one of the major fisheries uh, in the United States. And the vessels that were uh, just put out to sea, they did a lot of testing ahead of time. They're trying to put together a testing regimen that will make sense for workers heading out to sea in particular because that's the big risk that seafood companies have that others don't, especially in these seasonal fisheries like the wild salmon season coming up in Alaska and Russia, like the the pollock season coming up in the Bering Sea and, of course, fisheries around the world. Some of these major factory trawlers are getting ready to go out and, and do their fishing with people on board that are living in very, very close quarters. So I think the seafood industry is probably, I hope that the seafood industry is thinking about these things, reading our headlines and saying, hmm, you know what, I think we need to be a bit more careful. Well, let me, let me ask you guys this. Okay, so we've seen Trident, we've seen Pacific, we've seen Highliner, we've seen major, major uh, U.S. seafood companies come out, say they had an outbreak, explain what they're doing, you know, to uh, prevent a reoccurrence, okay? How, do you think a lot more seafood companies have had outbreaks and have not shared that information? Or do you think the ones that have are basically the sum of all of the companies that have had outbreaks? Yes, <laughs> because, yes. because uh, yeah, yeah, because you, you just have to look at the, the numbers of cases. I mean, you take the, the U.S., those are all U.S. companies you just mentioned. So take the U.S. and the number of cases that are there right now. There, there, there must be more cases in seafood factories. I mean, it's just it's just the law of statistics, surely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm, I'm certain that there are unreported cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Whether whether people, whether companies know about them or not, absolutely. And I think that again, it's something where people are worried. What will my customers think? Will they think it's going to get in the food? Uh, will it panic other employees? Can we keep this kind of quieter? You know, all the things that businesses do out of fear that. Um, that can end up ruining your your company ultimately or can end up exacerbating a global outbreak of this terrible disease. So, yes, and I, I think, John, that the, the, the thing to really worry about is when companies uh, don't do that reporting quick enough and then they will be forced to go back and revise these counts and revise these numbers. So... I think it's important to report, get out in front, start that contact tracing as soon as possible because then the other thing that can happen, and, um, and, and this is a great thing, is I do think it's an opportunity for the industry to share best practices. The seafood industry is, is far more fragmented than the meat or poultry industry. The lobbying groups in the seafood industry are small, tiny compared with beef, poultry, dairy, uh, you know, and this is not just the U.S. This is all around the world in 
uh, in Europe and, and uh, Africa and, and Asia, the, the pork, cattle, poultry industries are far, far bigger. So the seafood industry really needs to take it upon themselves to communicate more across the supply chain. And by saying, hey, we have this issue, here's how we're going to solve it, kind of immediately I think you're already, I hope, seeing companies take those best practices, whether it's communication uh, or, or actual practices to, to keep workers from, from uh, sick workers from coming into work. Um, I think we sort of, I hope, hit sort of a rhythm here where seafood companies are realizing, huh, okay, these are the things that would make a huge difference. Temperature, okay, great. The Abbott testing, which is ridiculously inaccurate, let's do that just because of their, it might help. So I think that, I think that there is, uh, th- there's some hope that if companies do go that route, that it would be beneficial to them. Certainly it would for the, the community and for, for the, the world. Yeah. I, I just, you know, for all the reasons that we've just That's said, I, I think transparency is the order of the day in this pandemic. So Hopefully that's uh, that's the approach the industry will take, but you know it's uh, it's up to them, obviously. Well, okay, let's leave it there. Those were two really uh, intense topics that uh, are not going to go away. Um, thanks again, John, for moderating the plant-based webinar earlier this week. That was really really fun, and uh, feedback was great. We do have another webinar planned for next month. And it will be another of our Seafood Leadership uh, Series webinars. So we'll have more information on that coming up soon. Don't forget that we uh, are on interfish.com 24-7. You can find our newsletters there. Uh, Come to the site and find pretty much any news that matters about the seafood aquaculture fisheries sectors. So... Uh, We'll see you on the pages of interfish.com, and we will play you out to the Red Lobster Brawl. Thanks, John. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Bye. Bye.